Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. FM. Welcome to the show this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. doesn't matter if you're a farmer or maybe you're just looking to build a dream house in the country or buy a piece of hunting property, a fishing hole, you know, just a recreational spot. Let Mississippi Land Bank help you out if you're in North Mississippi. Again, the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Got a bunch to get to this afternoon. We will talk some uh, NBA a little bit later, the 5 o'clock hour today with uh, Rob Fisher from the Memphis Grizzlies Television Network. We'll talk some hoops as Ole Miss got a win last night to improve to 4-0 and on the season in basketball. Uh, you did have an SEC team lose a home game last night. Uh, is that an issue? Is there a problem? How good is the SEC top to bottom? We'll get into that. We've got the new college football playoff poll. We talked yesterday on the Farm Bureau phone line with Bill Bender from the Sporting News and we talked about that uh, that list of top ten college football players all time. They released that story today. We'll get into that coming up a little bit later. Uh, I thought some of what Nick Saban said yesterday uh, about Tua Tonga-Vailoa was some of the most honest, open, and genuine stuff that you've ever heard from Nick Saban. And uh, we'll take a look at some of those comments coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Michael, Borky, what's up? Uh, I am undefeated, at least in the last two Pearl River Resort picks of the day. Okay. So, What'd you go with yesterday? I, I went with the homer pick again. Oh, so you stuck with the Pelicans. Stuck with them. I mean, no Dame Lillard. They started, uh, Portland started um, Carmelo Anthony last night. He hadn't played a game since this time last year. Wasn't even on a roster. And he was in the starting lineup and no Dame Lillard. Yeah, you'd take that all day. Shocking to no one. Uh, Carmelo Anthony struggled and took really bad shots. And yeah, what was he, 4 14, I think, in his return to the NBA? First time he had played a game in like a year? Yeah, tried to dunk on a seven footer as well. That didn't end well. <laughs> What was it? The it was the old. Uh, I don't know that it was. It probably it wasn't NBA 2K. It was probably before that. But it was one of the old video basketball games where you'd hit a shot and nothing happened, and then you hit a second shot, and the uh, the announcer on the video game would go, "He's heating up." And then if it was three in a row, that's when he'd go, "He's on fire." So you're heating up in terms of the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Hey, Dad! Happy Wednesday. What's shaking in Starkville? That was NBA Jam. Was it? Yeah. 
NBA Jam. Jams. Jam. Jam. No S. Singular. Okay. Yeah. NBA Jam. He's heating yeah. up. He's on yeah. fire. Yeah. That's, that was the game. I put many a quarter into that back in the day. There you go. What's up, man? How much, man? Good day here in Starkville. Beautiful day. And uh, getting ready for uh, an interesting weekend and then a, a very interesting short week. Yeah, no uh, no question about that. It's beautiful in Charleston, South Carolina as well. I'm not sure it's as warm here, though, as it is in Mississippi. I talked to my wife a little while ago. She said 70, sunny, and the real feels like 73, which is a, uh, a far cry from what we've had for the uh, the last couple of weeks. Rippy, happy Wednesday. What's shaking? Not a whole lot. Yeah, pretty warm here. I was surprised. I went out in a jacket instinctually and was pretty wrong. Yeah. This was uh, this would have been a good day to sneak out on the golf course this morning. Yeah, it would have been. I just have the trouble getting the itch in November. Yeah, I, I'm with you. My, my golf itch kind of goes away, and then it comes back in January when I, when I flip on the television and they're playing golf in Hawaii, and then they go to the West Coast, and then they go to Florida. It's like, yes, this is when I want to play, and that's when it's – Clearly not great golf weather in the uh, in the deep south. Um, Rippy, you were at the basketball game last night. Ole Miss gets a win over uh, over Seattle to improve to four and zero oh on the year. We'll get into the game a little bit deeper coming up uh, in a little while. Uh, not a huge night offensively, sixty five fifty two. So a thirteen point win. It was enough. What did you uh, What did you think last night? Well, for a Tuesday game at six thirty, the Post game or non conference game in November at six thirty, the post game press conference is actually kinda interesting with what Kermit Davis said about kind of the last ten, eleven minutes. But thought they played okay defensively and again, um I don't know if it's a theme yet or a trend, but definitely slow starts. They're not very good in the offensive half, particularly in the half court, and it's causing them to start slow and then I'm wondering and see what that kind of translates to when this competition kind of upticks over the next four games. And obviously it's going way up starting on Saturday when Ole Miss goes to Memphis, and then they will uh, jump to Brooklyn, New York. We'll play on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving against Penn State. Thanksgiving is an off day, and then Friday they will play either Oklahoma State or Syracuse. And what, then come back home for a game against Butler after that, right? Isn't that the, the next four? Yeah, it's Butler after that, and then you hit that weird Christmas swing where you go – like seven days apart without playing a game. Like you have one on the 7th, the 14th, the 29th, and then like they end non-conference play to where like one of those weeks is finals, one of them is Christmas. So they have four home games kind of leading into the last road game of the non-conference season. Yeah. And when we get mid late part of December, you've got that stretch of, uh, of two days where Ole Miss and Mississippi State will both play a game in Jackson at the, uh, Coliseum. Uh, Ole Miss against Southeastern Louisiana on December 21st, and then Haydad on the 22nd. Mississippi State plays New Mexico State. Isn't that who they play mm-hmm. in Jackson? Correct. Then that game will mark Nick uh, Weatherspoon's return. Okay, so that'll be the first uh, first game back for uh, Nick Weatherspoon. I'm doing that game on TV. I guess I know what we'll talk about in the open of that game. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's already uh, set out there for you. Yep, yep. Think uh, think that will be a uh, pretty good one. So um, Mississippi State uh, getting set to head uh, to Myrtle Beach. I guess they're probably already there and will play what tomorrow and then Friday and then Saturday's an off day and then they'll play on Sunday as well. Correct. Yeah, they'll play uh, Tulane on Thursday 
and the winner of Middle Tennessee and Villanova on Friday, and then have to wait and see what, what Sunday's game brings. You get the potential, if Mississippi State does what they are supposed to do and Villanova does what they are supposed to do, to have a, a really marquee game on Friday uh, mm-hmm. facing off uh, against a team that's won a couple of national championships. Jay Wright considered to be one of the best coaches in, uh, in all of college basketball, uh, and with good reason. And uh, a, a big brand game with the SEC against a team from the uh, from the Big East, and, and a game that, regardless of outcome, will will be very helpful to you in the net rankings. But a win, man, that would be a huge boost for Mississippi State. Something they could really ride the rest of the year. We've got college football tonight. Uh, had a couple of MAC games last night, neither of which were uh, were very competitive. Uh, but if you were just jonesing for football, you did have that on uh, on television last night. Northern Illinois got blasted at home by Ohio. Uh, no, it was against Eastern Michigan, 45-17. We had two people yesterday on the C Spire text line. The first one was like, Eastern Michigan is a really good play tonight. I was like, oh, okay. And then the next person that t- texted in said, take NIU. So uh, I hope Eastern Michigan is the way you, uh, you went. And then Ohio picks up their fifth win of the season – with a 66-24 win over Bowling Green, uh, that is only kind of interesting or locally relevant uh, because Ohio is currently uh, a team with five wins, and they have an APR that is better than that of Ole Miss. Now, obviously, none of that matters if Ole Miss doesn't win the Egg Bowl in eight days, but uh, that's one of those teams that could potentially eat up a spot that you might have been looking at uh, as a potential landing spot for a bowl game if Ole Miss uh, doesn't get to, uh, uh, well, if Ole Miss were to get to five wins, yeah, whatever. Uh, again, that's we're, we've been talking about that this week, but really it's too early to be talking about it because you've got so many games left. Uh, there are right now, though, uh, looking like they're going to be maybe one or two spots uh, that will not be filled uh, by bowl eligible teams, so we'll see how that uh, how that shakes out. Hey, Rippy, is there any discussion? What was Matt Luke asked about that on on Monday at his press conference? Yeah, he didn't really give much of an answer. Said his focus was on getting the trophy back and all of that. So um, I don't think we'll get much of an answer until they if they get the fifth win, and then they'll probably talk about it a little more openly after that. Yeah, uh, the games tonight. Uh, two of them, ESPNU, Akron is at Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio, a thirty. And a half-point favorite against the Akron Zips, who are 0-10 on the year. And uh, Buffalo, who is 5-5 on the season, is hosting Toledo. Toledo 6-4. Buffalo a 9-point home favorite in that game. And then kind of a fun Thursday night game, kind of. NC State at 4-6 is at 2-8 Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is actually a favorite in that game at historic Bobby Dodd Stadium in downtown Atlanta. Hey, you know what you can see from Bobby Dodd Stadium? You guys know? I do know. You can see the varsity right across the street. Chili dogs for the win. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's talk a little bit more about that uh, that basketball game last night for Ole Miss. Rebels got to 4-0 and on the year. 65-52 was the, uh, was the final score in the game. When you look at scoring, Hadim C. 
had seven points and four rebounds. Starters in double figures, only two of them. K.J. Buffin, 13 points and eight rebounds and a really efficient night. He was 6 of 10 shooting, 1 of 2 from behind the arc, had an assist and a couple of steals in the game. The only other player in double digits last night for Ole Miss was Brian Tyree. 10 points on 3 of 8 shooting. He was 0 of 2 from behind the arc and 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Ole Miss as a team shot 23.5% from 3. They were 4 of 17 in the uh, ball game, nobody with more than one made three-point basket in the game. So again, Rippy, you, you were there last night. Kind of, let's start with your takeaways from the game itself. You know, individual players that stood out. Uh, you know, anything that that kind of jumped out at you. And then let's get into what you were talking about a second ago with some of the post-game comments from uh, Kermit Davis. Yeah, I mean, they struggled again in the half-court offensively, which has kind of become a recurring recurring thing with this group so far through four games uh kermit davis seems to think that uh, that blake getting blake henson back will help that uh immensely uh they play pretty good defense for when they're kind of i say main guys are in the game because the end of the game was kind of about a, a couple of fringe guys not doing themselves any favors but like seattle started four guards in like a six foot five five man or six man so they really just weren't long enough and weren't able to create their own shot there wasn't really much they could do offensively like I, if Ole Miss had kind of kept their foot on the gas for the entire game i'm not sure they would have gotten to 35 points so they kind of locked a, a smaller and undermanned team down defensively but on the offensive end it was kind of a struggle again i mean the Kermit seems very frustrated that the ball doesn't move very much. Like it doesn't really see both sides of the floor more than once in a possession. They don't really cut or screen anybody very well. Uh, kind of stagnant and really just a lot of individual shot creation. And they dribble the air out of the ball sometimes. That's something that's going to have to get better if uh, they kind of want to survive the SEC. Because he talks, he kept, he keeps saying after games, he tells them that they're going to need to win games in the fifties and sixties. I think some of that is a little bit sarcastic and a little bit condescending in some ways. Because I think he knows they're not able to do that. Because like, if you're going to win like conference games in that type of scoring, like you have to be pretty elite defensively, not just good. Which I think they fall. Ole Miss falls more towards good right now. Certainly not elite. So they're going to have to get better on that end of the floor for sure. So defensively, Ole Miss holds uh, Seattle in the game to 29 percent from the field, 24 percent from behind the arc. Obviously those are really good numbers, and you're going to win a lot of games when you hold the opponent to that. But you flip it to the other side, and Ole Miss, eh, okay from the field, 43%. You probably would rather see that, what, 46, 46.5%. But you got to be better than 24% from behind the arc. I mean, that's a number that needs to be around, what, 30? I mean, to be just an average three-point shooting team, 30 Three, 34%, and if you're a good three-pointing t- shooting team, it's more like 38? Yeah, I mean, I think that this team has the ability to be a decent three-point shooting team, and they really kind of lack the guy that you really can't help off of and you follow him wherever he goes on the floor, but they can be a good three-point shooting thing. I think that's mostly a product, I say mostly, partly a product of shot selection and partly just a product of them not hitting shots early in the season. I don't think it'll remain at this clip. I don't think they're going to be a lights out shooting team to where you're really stretching like stretching opposing teams on the perimeter but they got a chance to be decent at it you know one of the things Borky and Haydad you know, everybody kind of involved in this that we've not talked a lot of about we, we've mentioned it 
But we haven't talked about it in detail. So a few years back, you had the three-point line go from where the, the arc, you know, basically bumped up against the top of the key, and a three-point shot was 19 feet 9 inches. And they moved it back a foot all the way around, so you, you pushed it back to a 20-foot 9-inch three-point shot, which was a little bit of an adjustment. But now you've taken it back almost another foot. I think 9 inches is, is exactly how far it's gone down. So it's not the full length of an NBA three, but it's the international three-point line, the, the three-point line that FIBA uses. It's not an arc all the way around. It squares off into the corners, which actually, if you've watched some college basketball games, you, you, you've seen that teams are not necessarily adjusting as well to that, and a bunch of guys have stepped on the sideline in the corner. They kind of haven't figured out how to slide into that corner for a three yet. I don't know if we've made enough of a deal about that in that guys that are going from high school to college – are adding two feet to a three-point shot, and guys that played a year ago are basically adding another foot to the three-point shot, and I think we're going to see shooting percentages go down from behind the arc. And what was the reason for that? They talked about floor spacing, right, that college basketball was too reliant on the three-point line, and this will space the floor to give people lanes. I mean, you've been calling games. Has that had the desired effect, or is it too early to even know? I don't know. Um, I I do feel like, so so Rippy, we were talking a second ago about Ole Miss defensively and the fact that they've been pretty good. The area that they have not been good is exactly what Borky's talking about. It's not so much guys driving to the basket, you know, off of a screen, but straight line drives. Like like from the perimeter straight to the rim, Ole Miss has had trouble cutting that off. Hey, Dad, I, I don't know if you've seen that at all in Mississippi State's games so far, do you feel like you've seen an effect uh, based on the, the three-point line being moved back? It's funny you, you, we bring this up because that was asked of Howland and Tyson Carter yesterday, and Howland said that his biggest concern, something you just talked about, he said he wished if they were going to do that they would have widened the floor just a little bit because that is a concern for him. With Carter, as far as the shooting depth, he said, you know, for the most part, guys are shooting longer three-pointers anyway. They were shooting further back a season ago as it was. And I, you know, I would call that the Steph Curry effect if I had to, to label it. He said yeah. as far as he goes and as, as the other shooters on the team go, they haven't really noticed the, the difference in that. But I, I haven't noticed any of those kind of turnovers myself uh, in, the, in the games the State's played so far, but I certainly see the potential for them. Yeah. I don't know. What, what the effect ultimately is. So, Rippy, you, you said for a November 19th game, there were some things that were pretty interesting that Kermit had to say afterward. What were those? It's not so much he said, but like what he did and what he followed up on it afterward. Because it was 52-24 with about 11 minutes remaining in the game. And really the last eight or nine minutes, he played a lot of fringe guys that are trying to round out the end of this rotation. The Franco Miller's, the Carlos Curry's of the world, and Tavian Column, and the game ended at thirteen. I mean, at a thirteen-point deficit. I mean, Seattle had twenty-four points in the first what I guess twenty-nine minutes of the game and scored twenty-eight in the final eleven. Um, he was pretty upset with how they played afterward. I mean, the game ended on a seventeen-to-two run, I believe. Ole Miss only scored once in the last six minutes, and he basically just kind of said, "Like I did it against my better judgment, but like now I know why some of those guys currently have the roles that they do with this team." So it's almost like he was upset with it, but uh, like kind of used it almost as confirmation. Like I, I, I mean, Franco Miller, Carlos Curley in particular. I don't think Bryce Williams played particularly well last night either, but he's been okay in some other spots. Uh, did themselves very many favors last night in terms of kind of trying to crack this rotation for playing time. But he was definitely a little, uh, 
a little upset about it. I mean, he said, I think at one point he said the last eight minutes were as embarrassed as he's been as a coach here. Ooh. So uh, was, definitely uh, wasn't happy with that, but definitely, I mean, like read into it what you will. I think he's just kind of trying to send a little bit of a message. Uh, of the starting five, all but Hadim C played 20 or more minutes. He only played, he played 19. And then off the bench, Sammy Hunter played 24 minutes. Bryce Williams played 22. Austin Crowley played 22. Um, Column got seven minutes and was scoreless on 0, of, uh, 0 for 1. Carlos Curry played four minutes, scoreless, 0 for 1. Franco Miller, six minutes, scoreless, 0 for 2. And then McBride came off the bench at the end. But Yeah, I think it's less about kind of what they – I think it's less about what they did, I guess, technically shooting the ball than just kind of the way they played, particularly defensively and then just offensively together as a unit. But – um, again, they get Blake Henson back Saturday. They expect him to start practicing again full contact on Thursday after their off day today, and they'll have him in limited minutes against uh, against Memphis. But I mean, it wasn't all bad. Tyree had five early first half assists. I think you'll probably see him play more point guard this year. Everything kind of went to crap last year when he uh, when he had to play the one and Schuler had to go off the floor, which is not really any fault of Tyree's own, just kind of the way the team was constructed. I think they're more equipped to let him play point guard this year because it's not like. Uh, Bryce Williams or Franco Miller has really kind of solidified the backup point guard role. You know, four games in, probably early to say you've settled in on a rotation, but with the return of Blake Henson uh, coming on Saturday against Memphis, really looks like nine is probably going to be the number for Kermit Davis. That group that started last night with Tadim C, KJ Buffin, Luis Rodriguez, Brian Tyree, Devontae Shuler, and then off the bench, and, and you may play with the starting rotation a little bit. Sammy Hunter is going to play uh, because he's going to play in the five. Bryce Williams is going to play. Austin Crowley is going to play. And then you add Blake Henson. And at this point, kind of looks like that's going to be the the main nine guys that play. And nine is probably about the right number for a college basketball rotation, I would think. Or coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. For now, kind of wrapping up the basketball conversation. There uh, were several, what, five games last night involving SEC teams. We talked about Ole Miss winning against Seattle. Alabama hosted Borky's Furman Paladins. Crimson Tide avoided the upset. They won 81-73 at Coleman Coliseum to pick up their second victory of the year. Furman had some dude drop 31 points in the second half of that game, though. That's good, right? I guess if you don't win, it doesn't matter, huh? Arkansas beats Texas Southern by 31, 82 to 51. Isaiah Joe for Arkansas, who was uh, SEC All Freshman a year ago, 29 of his 33 came in the second half. Uh, Borky's uh, favorite coach in the SEC, Will Wade, uh, had uh, saw his team get a, a 27 point win over Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC, and in Columbia, South Carolina, Boston. Boston University beat South Carolina 78-70. to eh, Not a good loss there. What's Ripping. going on here? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you've had Kentucky, South Carolina, Alabama. Hasn't Vanderbilt lost as well? even though that's kind of to be expected. Weird non-conference losses to seemingly lesser opponents. Is this just basketball, or is there something up? Hoops. This happens in some variation about every year. 
Yeah. I, it feels like it's a little more this year, though. Maybe it's just me. We talked about Florida yesterday. You know, Kentucky yeah, losing Florida. a bad game. It just, I don't know. Well, the, the, the Kentucky thing, I think, is understandable in that uh, Kentucky's got a bunch of young dudes. But, but here's the thing. I was talking to a buddy of mine uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago about the Kentucky loss. Is that going to affect Kentucky? No, it's not. Is it going to cost them a one seed? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Could it cost them site selection as a one seed? Yeah. So there, there's an NCAA opening round regional that's in Louisville, Kentucky. If Kentucky's a one seed, that's where they want to be, where the most of their fans can, can get to it. But could they get shipped out west as a result, and that kind of be the data point that makes the difference? Yeah, to me, that's the reason that, that you've got a little bit of concern there. Um, the Florida thing's interesting. So Florida State's pretty good. They lost a home game to them. They had a six-point win against Towson, and then they lost at UConn by three this past weekend. Um interestingly enough, so last year I did the, the tournament in the Bahamas, and Florida was in that, and they're in this tournament in uh, in Charleston this weekend, the Charleston Classic. I thought the demeanor that Mike White had, just kind of overall demeanor surrounding his team, was dramatically different this year than it was a year ago. He was really frustrated with that team, and he had a couple of guys, you know, Jalen Hudson, uh, and there was another older guy that just weren't playing well, and they weren't you know, good team guys, they weren't playing defense. He's actually pretty pleased with how his team has played and thought that it was ridiculous that they were ranked sixth in the preseason. You know, they they, they have a couple of five-stars come in. They get the transfer from uh, Virginia Tech and Kerry Blackshear, and they got some guys coming back. But it's not like Florida was an elite team a year ago. That's an awfully lofty preseason ranking for a team that has not proven anything i mean they were an ncaa tournament team a year ago but you know that's kind of it so i I tend to agree with rippy though that it's just november basketball and you're going to have some weird results the the south carolina lost to um boston last night's a little baffling to me though frank martin probably blamed it on millennials (laughs) don't be mean to frank martin love that guy i did see somebody last night make the comment that South Carolina and Ray Tanner are going to fire him and keep Will Muschamp employed. Mm. I don't think the Will Muschamp thing is a foregone conclusion, but South Carolina certainly didn't make it any easier on itself with that statement they put out last week. Uh, they've released like three since then, including one today. What do they say today? Hey, they're just covering... So the- they just can't stop talking. So the president of the university had that roundtable discussion with local media, and then after that, he had another thing where it came out that uh, somebody from South Carolina reached out to somebody at Florida State to figure out how they're navigating uh, Willie Taggart's massive buyout. And so today they had to release a statement saying that that report was not entirely accurate and they were taken out of context or whatever. So it's a nightmare. Well, and they're, you know, regardless of how you feel about Will Muschamp, right now he's the football coach, and they're killing him. 
from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, how's he supposed to sign a kid? Especially like, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but let's say there's like a four-star in-state kid that's considering South Carolina and Clemson. And if you're Muschamp, how do you expect me to sign this kid when you're doing all of this crap in the media every single day? Another place where most everybody assumed there was going to be a change, but there is clearly not going to be a change is Vanderbilt. Um, Malcolm Turner, the AD at Vanderbilt, came out with a statement yesterday. And Borky, I think you and I are in agreement on this. This was a pretty well-worded statement. Let me read you what it said. This is Malcolm Turner, the AD at Vanderbilt. Look, this has been a disappointing year without question, but we are going to focus on root causes. We've had 50 years of routine kick-the-can coaching changes without accompanying the fundamental underlying change. And out of respect for those who truly support Vanderbilt football and with the focus on building a successful and sustainable football program, this is a cycle we really need to break. I understand that people want a quick and easy fix, and in difficult years, it's typical to focus on the usual suspect with a coaching change. But in my view, we can't recycle the same problem without really addressing the core issue. I think that's offensive to a fan base that truly cares. The only thing that I'm not sure about in that statement is the last line about a fan base that truly cares. I don't know that Vanderbilt fans really, truly, deep down care about football. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm not being fair there. It's certainly a proud fan base, even if it's not as big as some of the others. That's about as well-constructed a statement as you're going to get from an athletics director, though. This also shows the growing disconnect between fans, uh, irrational media pundits, and whatever. When a guy loses four games in a row, you're like, oh, he's a hot seat, he's fired, it's a foregone conclusion to the way ADs actually think and then the confines of their football program. Guys made a bullet at Vanderbilt two out of three years. How many coaches in Vanderbilt's history have done that? Not very many. Same thing with Muschamp in South Carolina. Like well, hold he's on, winning hold at a on. clip historically they haven't won at before. I mean, they have, have haven't had much history of winning at before. But like you know, this is such a week to week irrational industry that now the guy loses three four games in a row or they have two back to back down years. Well, he's done. Someone else is coming in. Here's something that that hasn't been brought up that I've heard anywhere with regard to Vanderbilt because everybody wants to point to James Franklin winning nine games two years in a row at Vanderbilt. And, and that's true. He did it, and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. That's the only time that I can come up with in recent memory where Vanderbilt has kind of relaxed some of their admission standards so that football can go get dudes. Now, what do those dudes do? They won. However, there's another thing that Vanderbilt is looking at that they view, whether this is right or wrong, People at Vanderbilt view the time frame in which you took some questionable guys that you might not have taken otherwise that allowed you to win nine, uh, nine games two years in a row. You also dealt with maybe the most embarrassing scandal in the school's history with the rape case, the cover-up, and all that went along with it. And for that reason, folks at Vanderbilt are saying, absolutely, we're not going down that road again. And the East wasn't very strong then either. I mean, that was when Missouri was winning True the East. True statement. 
You're, you're exact. Florida was down. Georgia was down. Tennessee was down. And they still lost four games in both of those years. Yeah, they did. They, but I mean, come on, they won nine. Right. But they had a, they had a ten, ten, 10 win year or an eleven win year where they they didn't win the East, right? When South no. Carolina? Oh, oh. I'm, sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm no sorry. we're talking about Vanderbilt. So, Vanderbilt. so you're talking about okay. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they made uh, ten win rings, and uh, that was the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, back in South Carolina that they passed out. But that's, uh, to Rippy's point, an indicator of the program. They thought it was appropriate to make r- uh, literal rings, like championship rings, commemorating a 10-win season there. I'm just saying, I don't think ADs think the way that fans and media pundits think when a guy loses a few games in a row. That's clearly correct, yes. Except is for Arkansas. One, is yeah. one side or the other... Right, I would tend to side with the rationality and patience more often than not, because just file it, rifling through coaches and paying buyouts probably isn't a great strategy either. The, the the whole buyout culture we're in right now with the contracts is, I mean, the the level of absurdity that exists in that particular arena right now is just off the charts. Did millennials ruin buyouts? Next on Sports Talk. Tomorrow you can join the JT Show from one of JT's favorite spots, his favorite toy store perhaps, Lake Hill Motors in Corinth. Get special financing rates on Honda four-wheelers. Boy, that'd make a good Christmas present. And the package deals are back for Christmas. It's the JT Show live tomorrow from Lake Hill Motors in Corinth, where you may just find the lowest prices in America. Glad to have you along this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood sent us a, uh, a joke picture. The uh, heading on the picture is Colin Kaepernick's workout in front of MNFL teams who want him. He is throwing outside of an orange van with an old-style camcorder on a tripod on the middle of a prairie somewhere in middle of Amer- uh, middle America. You don't recognize the reference? What is that from? Um. Oh, God, what's the movie called? I mean, my man drops. You don't recognize the reference and then can't give it to us. Yeah, well, it's Uncle Rico. It's, it's from Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. You think I can oh. throw this stake over the mountains? There you go. If you'd given me Come Uncle on, Rico, man. I would have given you the whole throw it over the mountain thing. Right. See, yeah. I, I could have gone there. The movie's terrible, but there's quotables. Um. So, there was one more college football thing I wanted to get to in this hour. The whole where are teams going for bowl games? So, we know that an ACC team goes to the Orange Bowl every year. It's kind of like the SEC's relationship with the Sugar Bowl. The highest-ranked SEC team that is not part of the college football playoff is Sugar Bowl bound. Well, that's the same thing in the ACC, but they could have potentially a problem because we all believe that Clemson is going to be a playoff team. They're not going to lose, clearly. At least, clearly, we all believe that. Outside of Clemson, the ACC does not have another team who is ranked in the top 
25 of the college football playoff poll. And so if you can't go to another ranked team, the next highest ranked team, what do you do? The Orange Bowl doesn't really know the answer to that question. Eric Palms <laughs> is the Orange Bowl CEO. He was asked about the possibility of the Orange Bowl taking a team that is not from the ACC, and he said, it's a great question. We are hopeful, obviously, that with three weekends of football still to go, there is a path for some team from the ACC to get back in there. <laughs> if the ACC and the American did a basketball-style challenge with 10 games, who would win? It's a really good question. So Cincinnati, well, actually Memphis is ranked ahead of Cincinnati now. So Memphis would lose to Clemson. Number two in the ACC would be Louisville. They would. Is that right? Is it Louisville or Miami? Louisville right now sits at six and four, but they're second in the Atlantic Division. Virginia. Oh my God, that is crazy. Yeah, how about that? Uh, but uh, in the Coastal Division, Virginia Pitt and Virginia Tech all are seven and three. Wake Forest is also uh, seven and three, but they're three and three in the conference. Here are the ACC standings: Clemson on top of the Atlantic Division, then it's Louisville at four and three, Florida State at four and four, Wake Forest at three and three, Boston College three and four, NC State and Syracuse both one and five. That's the Atlantic in the Coastal. Virginia's 5-2. and two. Their lone remaining conference game is against uh, Virginia Tech. Pittsburgh is 4-2. and two. Same thing for Virginia Tech. The Miami Hurricanes are 4-3. and three. North Carolina's 3-4. and four. Duke's 2-4. and four. And Georgia Tech is 1-6. and six. What a conference. Yikes. Georgia Tech's so Georgia Tech sitting at seven and three. I'm sorry, Virginia sitting at seven and three right now. Two remaining games. Liberty on Saturday, and then Virginia Tech on the final day of the regular season. So basically, they need Virginia or Virginia Tech to not lose the other game, because then the committee will throw them a bone and. Like, throw them up at 23 or something just to avoid all of the crap. Yeah, I mean, a 9-3 and three Virginia is going to be in the top 25. But, I mean, who, who else could, I mean, Pittsburgh maybe? Virginia Tech, Virginia? Wake Forest just fell out of the top 25. They got Duke and Syracuse. They could probably get their way back in there. Yeah, you're probably right. So after Wake Forest beat NC State 44-10, they lost by 19 to Virginia Tech and by 49 to Clemson. Yeah. The point is the ACC is so bad that the Orange Bowl might have to pick somebody from another conference. I wonder if the Orange Bowl would rather – I wonder if they would rather pick somebody from another conference. Without a instead doubt. Instead of – Wake Forest or Virginia or I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. One hour in the books on this Wednesday.
Sports Talk Mississippi, 4 o'clock hour on this Wednesday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Had youth deer season open. Maybe uh, maybe you, you took um, a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or just a kid that uh, is, is a friend of the family's hunting, and you had to find a place to take them. And you thought, you know what? This would be so much easier if I just had my own piece of land. I could set things up, could put permanent deer stands in place, wouldn't have to worry about getting permission from somebody else, wouldn't have to worry about inconveniencing somebody else. I could just go to my place. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help you turn that idea into a reality. They've been financing and refinancing land in North Mississippi for over 100 years. And here's one of the cool things. Because Mississippi Land Bank and and all of the people that work there deal in land on a daily basis, they might help you be able to find just the perfect spot. So let's say that you live in, oh, let's say you're in the Delta. Let's say you're in Cahoma County. And you haven't really been in the market for land, and so you don't really have a good idea of what's available or what might be about to come available, talk to the folks at Mississippi Land Bank because that's what they're doing. They're talking to people that are in the land world every single day. That's the world that they live. Mike can help you find exactly the piece of property that you're looking for. You can stop by a branch location, or you can give them a call. MSLandBank.com has got all that information. Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Got breaking news here, man. What have we got, Borky? Shams of The Athletic just tweeted that the NCAA has suspended James Wiseman of Memphis for just 12 games. He will be cleared to play on January 12th. So he misses the Tennessee game. That is correct. So let me get this straight. And good for Memphis, by the way, but let me get this straight. Here's the statement from the NCAA, quickly. James Wiseman, a freshman on the University of Mississippi, uh, Memphis, University of Memphis men's basketball team, must sit 11 additional games for a total of 12 based on recruiting inducements his family received before he enrolled at Memphis and for competing in three games while ineligible. All right, Borky, go ahead. So the basketball coach at Memphis, and even though he wasn't the basketball coach at Memphis at the time, everybody knew that he was going to be the basketball coach at Memphis. Either way, a booster of the school paid over $11,000 for a family to move to Memphis to play for him, and he gets a light suspension because that's what this is. And that's the end of the story? Wiseman must also donate $11,500 to a charity of his choice. Do they have to forfeit the games he played in? I know the, the vacating wins is a hollow penalty, but I would think it might actually matter in this instance. It says he competed in three games while ineligible. That should automatically make those wins vacated, correct? But I, What category does that fall into? Quality win or bad loss if it's vacated? That's a good question. It, 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 well, it falls into a didn't play it. I mean, if those if those games have to be vacated, that is three data points that do not exist for Memphis. Yeah, they don't count as losses, right? Because the losses still count. Yes, if so there's was, a loss, it counts. But Memphis won all three of those games that he played in. They lost so, to Oregon. 
Oh, I'm sorry. They did lose to Oregon. You're right. That loss would stand. But there's no – in this official release. So, James Wiseman, I mentioned it a second ago. He will be eligible to compete in Memphis's January 12th contest at South Florida. He also must donate $11,500 to a charity of his choice. Okay, sorry for being the guy to ask this question, but I'm just going to ask it. How many college basketball players have $11,500 hanging around that they can donate to a charity? Especially a college basketball player who needed moving expenses. Just, just borrow from the coach. He's got it. I thought this was. I thought Haydad was joking. No, that's a real thing. No, no that's in no. The, I was no, not. I just pulled it up. I <laughs> thought Haydad was kidding. For seriously, well, though, surely there's like a there's a limit on that. That they'll they'll let him donate it. I, I don't know. Sometime around next June. I don't know. But tons of athletes go pro in things other than sports. That's what that's what I hear. That is wild. Hold on, but, but I'm I'm hung up on this for a second though. So so let's say that I get caught doing something wrong. And my punishment is, okay, Richard, you're suspended um, from the radio show for 12 days or, you know, whatever. It's a bad example. And you have to donate $12,000, to charity. Pocket change well, for Richard Cross. I don't have $12,000 just sitting in a bank account to go make a donation to St. Jude or to Blair E. Batson at the Children's Hospital at UMMC or to the American Heart Association or to the Alzheimer's Association or to Palmer Home. Now, I'm... 39 years old and married and have a family and have a good job and my wife has a good job. If I had to scramble around and come up with $12,000, could I? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I could pull money out of retirement accounts and pull money out of savings Go to a bank and borrow it. Go to a family member and borrow it. But, man, it it wouldn't have mattered. When I was 18 years old, if somebody said, you've got to make an $11,500 donation to the charity of your choice, I would have had to say, well, can can I put it on a five-year payment plan? Well, I guess the idea is that he was given $12,000, so it's giving it back. Yeah, I'm sure that money's still available and ready to just be plugged into the local charity of his choice. The the, the, the thought two years is good, ago. but there's no but the, the the science behind it is not right, basically. it's it's He doesn't have this money. So aren't you just sort of encouraging another NCAA violation here? Like, he's got to get it from somewhere if he wants to keep playing. I think the real question, though, is, is this it? Is this case closed? Here, here's, what's, here's what's really fascinating to me. The Memphis told the NCAA in the most public way possible to shove it. 
And then they were like, nah, actually, never mind. We're going we're gonna to drop this lawsuit. We're not going to sue you anymore. We want to work with you. And the NCAA said, okay. But Borky, your point's a great one. Look, look at um, look at other cases that are out there. I mean, we always we always bring up Ole Miss because it's recent and it's local. Was was the monetary figure of all of the violations that Ole Miss dealt with less than eleven thousand five hundred dollars? I'm asking that because I honestly do not remember. Hey, Dad, you probably remember. First off, it seems unlikely, though, because there's the one violation for 10,000. I don't think the rest of them were just 1,500. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. But in comparison, penalties for Ole Miss (laughs) versus penalties that Memphis just got. I think if I'm an Ole Miss fan, which is a weird thing to say, uh, I think right now your biggest beef with the NCAA is it seems like they are just churning and burning through a lot of cases right now. It seems like something yeah. pops up and it's resolved within a couple of weeks. It even happened with Mississippi State, you know, pretty quick resolution months, on the right? academic thing. Yeah, whatever it was. That the penalties aside, that would be my biggest beef with the NCA now. Right now, it's oh, oh, now we're going to be you know exped, expeditious about how we do but, things. But, but you know what? Hey, Dad, here here's a bigger beef than that. Mm-hmm. It's they're expeditious when they want to be, right? Because yeah, Missouri they get, they get the Memphis. They make their own rules. And, they make their own rules. Here's from Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated. He says multiple forces familiar with the enforcement procedures told him that a major infractions case targeting Memphis. Is likely. <laughs> Not shocking. So they just handled this deal and moved on. They handled yeah. this as a standalone and will use that as their opportunity, their <laughs> probable cause to open a new investigation. Somebody tweeted at me and said, Find out if Penny's AAU team is a 503C. You can donate to that. Wow. Team Penny. <laughs> Which is not <laughs> Team Penny anymore. It's something else. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty well done. But again, the timeline, it, it, it comes and goes. Missouri's been in hock forever. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. More on this next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, Dan, I had a buddy of mine text me. And, and maybe the, the, the point that I was making a second ago with the, the total value of everything tied to the Ole Miss deal mm-hmm. versus this, that's probably misguided. That, that's kind of apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go apples to apples, the, the specifically the Laramie Tunsil piece of it, Mm-hmm. You were talking about less than $5,000 in value. And he was suspended for, what was it, seven games of that season? I think that's accurate. I mean, if you want frustration, we were running out of time a second ago. So, yeah, Memphis's deal with James Wiseman, at least temporarily, gets resolved in two weeks. Um... Mississippi State's academic troubles get resolved in about six months. Missouri is, what, over two years now? That sounds right. And they're still waiting, still waiting 
for the answer on their appeal. And by the way, there was there was some comment out there a, a couple of weeks back that basically said, yeah, it's really hard to schedule with all of these appeal committee comp- people. They do it when it's convenient for all of them. Exactly. If you agree like, to be on the appeal committee, you're going to have to do some scheduling stuff. It's really like dealing with, and you, you're a father, so you know, and, and Borky, you'll get there. It's like asking your child for something. The answer could change every day. You know, hey, what do you want to, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Today it could be a dog. Tomorrow it could be I want to be, you know, a unicorn. It, it just changes. It just changes as their mood changes when they're little. That's what the NCAA is. Oh, you know, let's do what we want. Must be nice. North Carolina. North Carolina's deal dragged out for uh, three, three and a half years. Yeah. And basically they tore the entire NOA up. Nothing to see here. Ole Miss's and investigation fun. and all the pieces and twists and turns to it last for five and a half years. And as far as uh, like, what does this mean for Penny or whatever? Like, because I saw Stu Mandel said like, why, like, why no suspension for him? Doesn't the rest of this investigation that Pat Forty says is coming? Isn't he pretty much in the crosshairs of this? Like, they're coming to get him. Um, story from Pat Forty and color me shocked that Pat Forty had. 500 words ready to drop the second this announcement came out at Sports Illustrator. It's almost like somebody gave him a heads up on what was coming from the NCAA. Um, While Memphis can breathe a sigh of relief that the seven-foot-one Wiseman will return to action this season, it must also come to grips with a situation it unilaterally complicated. Had the school followed NCAA protocol from the beginning, this situation would have been remedied earlier and with far less possibility of further penalties. They talk about uh, he talks about Memphis. He says Wiseman and Hardaway went to court November eighth to obtain an injunction against the NCAA, and Wiseman played that night against UIC and four days later against Oregon. He also played in Memphis's season opener against South Carolina State, despite the school being warned that there could be an eligibility issue. How about this sentence or this paragraph? While that burst of defiant bravado played well with the fans and probably felt good in the moment. It may ultimately prove very costly for the school in Hardaway. Multiple sources familiar with the NCAA enforcement procedures told Sports Illustrated that a major infractions case targeting Memphis is now likely. There is an old cliche about not learning from history and being doomed to repeat it. Part of the reason that Ole Miss got into the trouble that it got into was a little bit of bravado, right? An what, infamous what tweet. To to? Well, and cooperation. And, and then subsequent lack of cooperation when it they finally realized that was a bad idea. Yeah, Ole Miss pretty much uh, hit the full spectrum of what not to do. But kind of what we said when this came out, like Memphis got patted on the back for you know taking the hard stance, but when you do that, when you admit guilt, it's probably not going to work. And now this is this is what this is saying. What's the difference? Actually, I can answer my own question, but for the sake of radio, what's the difference between what Memphis did and what North Carolina did to get off for free? Memphis didn't admit guilt, or excuse me, North Carolina like fully straight up. Like in this one isolated case, I mean, Memphis literally said, "We yes, he took this money, right." Yeah, in their their official statement afterwards, they outlined exactly what happened for everyone. So you can't like say, like, sorry, screw off after you've said, oh yeah, this happened. 
Ceasefire like pleading innocent after admitting to something. Yeah, 601-879-4395. What has to be done to get rid of the NCAA? It's a joke. Well, I mean, this feels like rinse and repeat, hey, Dad. The NCAA is a volunteer organization made up of its members. The games are fun to watch, though. They are. Kind of. I don't know if, yeah, (laughs) kind of. Uh, college football's not under. exactly been all that polarizing this year, even though that's not really what they control. But it, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. Do you think that this name, image, and likeness thing is what really undoes it? Not any sketchy investigation or doing one school wrong and not doing the other school wrong, but they they released some kind of a statement earlier today about the name, image, and likeness thing and how it's going to be consistent with their model and we're not going to have non-students in our organization, so they still don't get it. I think this is going to be what does them in, ultimately. Because the proposal they come up with by 2021 is not going to satisfy the lawmakers who are really enjoying getting positive press in a time where no lawmakers get positive press basically ever. They're going to keep hammering this. What do you think the timeline is, guys? Do you think five years and the NCAA looks and operates drastically in a drastically different way than it does today? Is that yeah. long enough or is it going to take longer than that? Within five years. Because whenever, by 2021, whenever that working group releases their proposal, everybody's going to say it's not good enough. Mitt Romney, for some reason... Uh, is going to be the one that puts the legislature down and uh, they vote on it in the House and the Senate and a president signs it and that'll be the end of the NCAA. There's just too many press conferences and news releases to win on this thing for them to not continue on. Unless the NCAA chooses to adapt. Just don't think they will. Well, there's about a $900 million reason for them to. And that's the NCAA basketball tournament. So, so the, the the decision that as an organization the NCAA will make, and again, the NCAA made up of its member institutions. But from a leadership standpoint, Mark Emmert has got to lead the presidents down this road where he says, we are on the verge of becoming extinct if we don't dramatically change the way we operate. Here is what I suggest. Not going to do that. Are they? Nope. If they can find a way to make more money doing that, they will. That's all they're going to look at is how can we make the most money? If we can make the most money doing this, then let's do it. In in fairness, we talk about, oh, the NCAA wants to make money. But we know what that really means, right? The more money the NCAA makes through television contracts and event production and whatnot, the more money flows back to schools. Yeah. But the schools are the NCAA. I mean, they're they're one and the same. I know we've talked about it before, and this is a little bit of an offshoot. But this next 
TV deal involving the SEC is going to I don't know what it's going to do. It's going to add a lot of money really, to the SEC coffers. Well, no, I no, I understand that. But is it just is it a business as usual thing where okay, now we can pay coaches more and now we can do or is there a strategic so, so, so right now the CBS deal generates $55 million a year. I think it's reasonable to believe that the redone contract, that I would say right now the odds-on favorite to get is, is ESPN slash ABC. And then maybe some, eh, no, they're going to want the streaming rights as well. I think it's a 5X, 5 or 6X deal. So you're going to go from $55 million to... Somewhere between two hundred fifty and three hundred million. So you're lo- you're looking at splitting an additional two hundred fifty million dollars. Let's just call it two hundred million. Fifteen ways. That is a thirteen million dollar bump annually. So in addition to the forty million that schools in the SEC are getting right now. You're looking at another $13 million. $53 million a year just from the TV deals. And that's not that far away. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. And Brian Scott Rippey, Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Uh, Gary Parrish from CBS Sports just tweeted that Memphis has announced that it will appeal James Wiseman's 12-game suspension. Which obviously begs the question, will James Wiseman be eligible to play until until that appeal is heard and ruled on? And that matters a great deal in the immediate future if you are an Ole Miss fan because it seems like there's no way the appeal would be heard before Saturday's game. And if he is eligible to play during the appeal process, that means James Wiseman would play against Ole Miss at noon on Saturday. I actually sent Gary Parrish a message back on Twitter asking if he would be eligible until the appeal's heard. So I don't know. Wow. This is something. They got a mess on their hands, too. I mean, they just served Kansas a notice of allegations. They promised six this summer. We've gotten to four of them, right? Uh, There's innuendo about them investigating LSU, which I'll believe that when I see that. They're really busy up there right now. Yeah, they got a bunch of irons in the fire, don't they? Um, Four not counting this, right? Right. This just popped up. I guess you can call it popped up. This came out separately. Not part of the FBI deal. 
Well, you're talking about number of investigations that are active right now? Yeah, we remember that report this summer from, I think it was Pat Forty, but obviously somebody that was very familiar with the inner workings of the organization that said that there will be six major programs that are handed notices of allegations by the end of the summer, and that ended up not being true, but there was the secondary report that said that they've gotten bogged down, and so that's why they're spreading them out, and they've handed out four, right? It was Kansas, Louisville, NC State. There was one more. Was it Georgia Tech? I know they got one, but was it – anyway, there's, a ru- there's, there's more there's to come. There's already a ruling that has come down on Georgia Tech. Is Arizona? Arizona, thank you. Georgia okay. Tech, though, wasn't necessarily to do with the FBI thing, though, right? No, Pastor it was something messed else. up with something else. It was that guy that cried to the NCAA because Pastner didn't wish him a happy birthday? Yes, that's the guy. Uh, here we go. Looks like this is a statement from Memphis. Late this afternoon, the NCAA informed the University of Memphis that men's basketball student-athlete James Wiseman must be withheld from 12 games of competition stemming from an NCAA violation several years ago. Two. James must sit nine games for the infraction and three additional games for those in which he has already competed this season. In addition, James must pay $11,500 to a charity of his choice. Based on case precedent, the circumstances of this case and other mitigating factors, the university will immediately appeal this decision. We expect a more fair and equitable resolution, and we will exhaust all avenues on James's behalf James will not compete in this evening's contest. So he will not play for Memphis tonight. They do not, however, clarify plans for Saturday. I wonder if you're in Wiseman's camp, if you just don't leave Memphis and go get 100 k to play in the G League and then play in the NBA next year. Just well, be done he's with at least eleven five right now, doesn't he? <laughs> they can mitigate it that way. Well, and and here's the other thing: if James Wiseman withdraws from Memphis right now, there's no way the NCAA can make him pay that money to charity. Yeah, that's true. Right. I wonder if that that's crossed their G mind though. at this point. I'm sure they would. I mean, they add and subtract and add people to their rosters all the time, all throughout the year. I think I'd go on a little European vacation and get about two hundred fifty thousand yeah, or half a million. Even to if play it's not Europe the G League, six months. Right, even if it's not the G League, there is somewhere on this earth he can play basketball professionally until the NBA draft. Just, I mean, not playing is not good for you either. I and mean, it's only twelve games, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things, but still, it's just better if he plays somewhere. And, and I mean, wouldn't you imagine the competition in the G League where there are guys that are NBA players would be better than playing Georgia State on a Tuesday night? Well, the the one thing you might point to, though, is the value that Zion Williamson added to himself by playing at Duke last year. And then almost got taken away from him because Nike's shoes can't hold up. Yeah, but then ultimately signed a great big fat deal with Nike. <laughs> Amazing it how that out. worked out. 
Hey, Seth Emerson from The Athletic points this out. He says, from a public relations perspective, the NCAA probably could have just waived the whole pay 11500 to charity. He says, not a good environment for it to be seen as fining players. It's actually a really good point. Yeah, that is getting, I don't know if you can call it spin, but how can you fine a player that didn't get paid? Because this money didn't go to him, at least that's what the story is. It went to his his parents for moving expenses. So if they actually use that money to help the move, he never touched it. So how are you going to find an 18-year-old kid the same amount of money that he never received? How much easier is this? How much easier is this if the NCAA just says Penny Hardaway has to pay that money? Why why would you not do that? Penny says, "Look, I've already paid the money once. Why have I got to pay it again?" <laughs> I mean, I get that, but it, six this year. It, it was a charitable donation. I'm just saying. I, I just I would think that that would have been the easier, more palatable way to go. But of course, the NCAA, not much for those things. Let's switch gears to for for a minute to uh, uh, an area where guys get paid a lot of money. The National Football League. Uh, Bleacher Reports' Matt Miller uh, is writing about quarterbacks on the move, specifically Phillip Rivers. He will be a free agent when the season ends. Where then will the uh, 38-year-old land? One rumor making its way through league circles is that Rivers would love to play for Brian Scott Rippey's Tennessee Titans. A native of Decatur, Alabama, just under two years uh, hours south of Nashville, Rivers has always been rumored to want to move closer to the south to end his career. With things in Los Angeles not going well for the Chargers, keep this destination in mind if Rivers isn't franchise-tagged this offseason. It would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, Tennessee's so fascinating to me, even though they're technically a boring team. They've got a good group of wide receivers, a really good running back, presumably a good offensive line, even though Taylor Lewan is a penalty machine, and they play really good defense. All they're missing is competency at quarterback to be a sure-in playoff team. Well, it's an expensive they have somebody offensive that can, line. It's not a good one. Yeah. Don't they have somebody that can throw four interceptions in a game right now? A couple of guys that could do that? <laughs> good point, but I mean, that would take Rivers in a heartbeat over those two. Marietta doesn't turn it over to a fault, though. He's just not good. He's so bad he doesn't throw interceptions. Do you want a 38 or 39-year-old quarterback? No. Is his name Drew Brees? If you could get if you're the Titans and you could get Philip Rivers on a two-year deal, don't you try it and then go draft a quarterback for pennies? Cuz I mean, aside from the expensive and underperforming offensive line, it's a team that doesn't exactly have some fatal flaw other than the quarterback position. So, sign Rivers Give him a two-year deal. Go draft. I don't. You could probably get Tua at this point, but go draft a quarterback, Justin Herbert, whoever you want. Let Rivers start now, and then groom the quarterback you drafted, and still keep a competitive football team there. Would you rather go with Phil uh, Philip Rivers or uh, Cam Newton for Tennessee? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Probably Rivers, but does Rivers want to sign in a place where his replacement is breathing down his neck? Doubtful. 
Where else are you going to go, though? Well, but there's a limited amount of shelf life, period. No, not for yeah, Tennessee. But- I mean, if you are your rivers, where else are you going to go who won't have your next guy at least in plans? It's a good point. Vegas has updated the odds for Cam Newton's next place. It appears as if he's probably played his last game for the Panthers. Bears, the odds on favorite at plus 250, then the Bengals at plus 300. Ugh. If you're a free agent and you can pick where you go, Cincinnati's not it. Staying with the Panthers plus 400, Broncos or Dolphins plus 500, Titans are in the mix with the Steelers and the Chargers at plus 900. Patriots at plus 1,000? Doesn't seem like that would make much sense. And the Bucks plus 1,200. Pretty good slate of games coming up this weekend, and there are a bunch of games that have got big-time playoff implications. We'll look at those next in the Renaissance Make Studio. So I'm going to put you down for a while. I guess I got to put you down. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Mentioned a second ago, pretty good slate of games this weekend in the NFL. Here are some of the notables that have playoff implications. Pretty good Thursday night game this week. Tomorrow night, Indianapolis at Houston. Denver's at Buffalo. The Carolina have you Panthers. Seen the Bills' to New schedule. The the Bill the teams that they have beaten are like fifteen in fifty on the season. Their losses Nicole, come from the three game. best teams they played, with the exception of Tennessee, I guess. But they've they lost to New England, they lost to Philly, and they lost to Cleveland. Their wins are over the Jets, the Giants, the Bengals. The Titans, the Dolphins, the Redskins, and the Dolphins again. Say that's taking advantage of your situation, right? Hey, they didn't pick their own schedule, so good for them. Is Houston the best team in the AFC South? It's tough now. Indianapolis is. Yeah. I mean, the way they got manhandled, by the the way the Ravens manhandled Houston... I would def- I take the Colts. Told you guys the Colts were winning that division without Andrew Luck. That I very rarely get things right. I got that one right. Um, is Jacoby Brissett back? Yep. We'll okay. get a contract with them. Um, Raiders at the Jets. Obviously, the Raiders in the playoff hunt. Panthers at Saints. Seahawks at Eagles. It's an interesting game. Yeah, Cowboys fans need Philly to lose that one. Jacksonville's in Nashville to take on the Titans. Cowboys go to New England. Think that one will draw some eyeballs this weekend? It'll be the highest-rated game of the season until the playoffs come. I mean, it could push $30 million. Is that Sunday night? That's a 325 Central Time kick. So they will be competing with others, but that number is still going to be massive. And the Packers are in San Francisco. So your playoff picture, playoff picture in the AFC, 
Um, New England is nine and one, leading their division. Clearly, Baltimore leading their division at eight and two. Kansas City at seven and four, and Indianapolis at six and four. Teams that are chasing a wild card spot in the AFC: Buffalo, Houston, and Oakland. NFC side of things. NFC is better than the AFC. Niners leading the NFC West at nine and one, Green Bay at eight and two, New Orleans at eight and two, and Dallas at six and four. Teams that are chasing a wild card spot in the NFC. How about Seattle at eight and two, which would be good enough to lead three of the four divisions. Minnesota at eight and three, same scenario. Rams at six and four, and Philly still got an outside shot at five and five, not at a wild card spot. I mean, I, I guess they're still in the wild card race, but the reason Philadelphia is there is because they're within striking distance of the lead in the division. Yep. I mean that that's the only hope, and that's why I, that's why I mentioned Cowboys fans need to hope that they lose because presumably Dallas isn't going to New England this weekend and winning, and uh, Philly is their threat. All right, so quickly, who wins these division divisions? The AFC North. New England holds on. Yeah. Oh, for Any sure. concern East. about – I'm sorry, that's yeah, in the East. The East. Yeah. Pardon me. Baltimore. Factor of geography there. Yeah. Baltimore wins the division, right? Yes. With ease. Does Kansas City hang on and win the division? Uh, yes, I think so. Probably, but I mean, if Oakland beats him in a couple weeks, never know. Kansas City's kind of a mess. And then you guys are convinced that Indy's going to win the division, although Thursday night plays a huge role in the deciding of that. The winner of that game probably wins the division, even though Indianapolis has to go to New Orleans here in a few weeks, so that's a losable game, obviously. But San Francisco hold on. Yeah. Uh, Does San Francisco hold on to win the NFC West? Yes. But Does close. Green Bay win the NFC North? Yes. Just can't quite figure out Minnesota. Saints win the South, no question. And then Dallas. I mean, Dallas at 6-4. and four. Philly at 5-5. Five and five. Giants obviously not a factor there. Does Dallas win that division? I think so. Philly doesn't get healthy enough in time. College Football Fix is coming your way next. We will look at the column that we talked about yesterday with Bill Bender. Sporting News in conjunction with 54 writers and former players has named the top 10 college football players of all time. The debate will begin in earnest next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. I lied to you. I told you we were going to jump into the college football fix. We'll hold that for just a couple of minutes. We've got that coming up because right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, our good friend Rob Fisher 
from Memphis. He is the television sideline reporter for the Memphis Grizzlies. You can see him on TV. You can check out his podcast. Uh, does stuff with Grind City Media as well. Rob, what's up, my man? Not much. How are you doing today? I'm doing exceptionally well. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, getting ready for the Charleston Classic. Good city. Fantastic. <laughs> it's my first time in Charleston, but uh, I like it. Well, I hope it's not my last time. Good. Um, we'll obviously get into some NBA stuff, but uh, because you are a Memphian and are on the ground there, obviously the biggest story of the day that has just popped up in the last hour is uh, the James Wiseman news. And uh, he's yeah. going to be suspended for 12 games. He's got to come up with $11,500 to uh, pay to a charity, which is equal to the amount of money that Penny gave to his mom for moving expenses. And now Memphis says they are going to appeal the ruling. Do you know any more? What, what's the, the local reaction? I know it's only been about an hour since this popped up. Well, the reaction locally, I, I think, has been a little, I don't know, fandom, maybe. Um, you know, I think people thought it was ridiculous, the original ruling to begin with. And this is the second time that with a high-profile player that Memphis has been burned after the NCAA said everything was fine. You know, Derrick Rose played an entire season, and they vacated that Final Four with Derrick right. Rose, despite the fact that before the season began, they said everything was fine. Then it was after the fact that they came back and said that it wasn't. Same thing with Wiseman, you know, that this was known, but they came back later and said that it wasn't fine. And Memphis decided to fight it, and it was pretty much all of Memphis against the NCAA. And, you know, Memphis played hardball, which probably, you know, if you want to get a guy back on the floor – uh, playing hardball is not really the way to do it with the NCAA. That's why I think the suspension is the length that it is. I thought it'd be a little shorter uh, if Memphis would have cooperated from the get-go, but just defying the NCAA is never a good thing to do. When Memphis decided to defy the NCAA as they did, I was hoping that Memphis would be the program and new athletics director Laird Veach would be the guy that would get really Memphis in the talk around the country of, we're, we're tired of the NCAA. The rules are archaic. We are going to fight, and we want everyone else to join in. Chase Young should play. The rules are stupid. Let's get the NCAA changed and fight it. Um, but their fight lasted a very short amount of time, and they dropped the lawsuit against the NCAA and then cooperated. And, you know, as we have found out over the years, when you cooperate, it doesn't really do you any benefit. So, I, to me, I think Memphis just needs to take it, shut up, be done with it, and move on, and uh, just hope it goes away and nothing else comes out of it, and and just uh, kind of take your medicine at this point because you know if you're not going to fight and, and take the fight is all the way out, then you're not going to win. Yeah, and and it's almost like when Memphis said, or, or well, I mean James Wiseman and his attorneys working in conjunction with Memphis said, we're going to sue you. The NCAA, and I'm kind of reading between the lines here, said, okay, that's fine. We'll have no further discussion until the lawsuit's gone. Right, exactly. So, and, so, so if you want I to mean, get to some sort of a resolution, you make the lawsuit go away and then we'll talk. Yeah, and, and I think that's what exactly happened uh, there. But, you know, I mean, we've seen it before, and, and you can argue whether or not it's a stupid thing that Penny was a high school coach at the time and he wasn't going – he didn't really have any knowledge of being a future Memphis Tigers coach when Jason Wiseman was going to be there. I mean, heck, Tubby Smith was in his first year, and he's a Hall of Fame coach. So there was no plan at true, that though? point to have Penny. 
So it, it is silly, but as we've seen, Richard, and I mean, heck, you could just point to Ole Miss. We've seen sillier yeah. things that have gotten programs in much more trouble than this. So it, it, it is a violation. I mean, I think Memphis people are blind to that, but it is a violation, and it, had, it was going to be dealt with and, and dealt in their own way. Whether you believe it should be a violation or not, this is the NCAA, and we've seen a lot more ridiculous things that have been penalized. Um, two, two more quick things on this. Uh, number one, Memphis says we are appealing – He's not going to play tonight. Do we know if, while waiting for the appeal ruling, James Wiseman can play or will play? And and I guess ultimately what I'm asking is, what do you think the likelihood is that he's on the floor uh, for a game with obviously a lot of local interest on Saturday when Ole Miss visits Memphis? I'd be surprised if he is. I mean, I, I think at this point, like I said, Memphis should just take their medicine and be done with it because it's not going to get better. And you can appeal all you want, and you can get another court injunction and have him allowed to play. But bottom line is, at the end of the day, the NCAA is going to do what they want to do. And it might not come until the end of the season. Then all of a sudden you're vacating wins and having to give money back and things of that nature. It, you're not, it's not going to be a positive outcome. The only way it could be a positive outcome is if you go all on board with the fight the NCAA, try and change the NCAA, but to do that, you're also going to have to get other programs from Power Five conferences to back you and do it together. Yeah. And I don't know if Memphis could get that because I think Memphis is looked at as a repeat violator. I mean, heck, the last two Final Fours that they've had have both been vacated, and they've gotten in trouble for that. So even though the statute of limitations is probably well passed, I think at least in the NCAA's head, Memphis has been in this situation before. So they're not going to change their mind, and the only way to change it would be if you can start a power movement to take down the NCAA, and I don't think Memphis has that clout around the the country with other programs. And, and, and final thing here, and, and I'm painting with a really broad b- brush, and, and I'm talking college students that are 18 years old. I'm not talking specifically James Wiseman. Who the heck's got $11,500 lying around when you're 18 years old to give to a charity? Where, where's that well, maybe, money supposed Maybe to come Penny from? will give it to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's uh, Because that wouldn't be a violation, right? You have to pay it or you do it in installments or how it works. And I mean, heck, if you could do it in installments or if you could do it where, hey, you got a year to pay it, well, he'll be, get an NBA contract and be able to pay it soon enough. So um, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to work. And it's... You know, it's the NCAA silly. It is. We all know that. But I mean, sure. you got you agree to abide by the rules, and you got to abide by the rules. And until things change drastically, this is just how it's going to be. All right, let's switch gears. You cover the Memphis Grizzlies on a daily basis during this time of year. This is a team that is obviously going to take its lumps this season. They're going to lose more than they win, but they're sitting at five and nine. And there are some pieces in place that people are really excited about for the future. Most notably, John Morant, who was the the top pick this year. Is this team fun right now on a night in night out basis? Yeah, they are, and that was the hope coming into the season. The knowledge of, as you said, they're not going to win a lot of games. They'll be back in the lottery this year, but hopefully it'll be a lot of fun to watch because it's a different style of play than what we've seen from the Grizzlies over the past decade, where it was slow down basketball, defensive, uh, and, you know, grit and grind, which they, they built their, their, that was their mantra. And that's, that's what they lived by. But 
the NBA has changed so much that it's now pace and space so much, and now the Grizzlies are playing that style. And so you just hoped it would be exciting because they got a lot of young athletes who can get up and down the floor and can play above the rim, and that's exactly what it's been so far. And, you know, the one thing, too, that you hoped going into the season and talking to scouts and talking to agents who have seen him play, the thought was John Morant's got the potential to be a true, legitimate superstar. We've had great players. We've had our favorite players, the core four, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Marcus All, Tony Allen. But none of them are superstars. They were great players. They were great for us. But they weren't superstars. And John Morant, just through these first 14 games, he looks like he is going to be a superstar in this league. He wows you every single night with things that he does, the way he sees the court and passes, the way he can get to the basket at his size. I mean, Steve Kerr last night compared him to Allen Iverson just 14 games into his career. That's pretty big praise, and every coach is praising him from watching him on film, and he's only going to get better. I mean, as soon as he figures out how to play in the NBA, he's going to be a lot better, but he's been dazzling to watch already. You'd probably say the most exciting Grizzlies player the franchise has ever had, and he's only played 13 of the 14 games so far. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and, and the hope for the Grizzlies is while they were going through their playoff stretch, you kind of knew their ceiling. And at the end of that playoff stretch, you knew the ceiling wasn't very high. Right now, you know the ceiling's very low, but you have a vision of where the franchise is going and where it's going to with a new core of young, great players. John Morant, Jaron Jackson, top four pick last year's draft. Brandon Clark, who was a steal in this year's draft, has been amazing. So those three guys, that's going to be the future of this organization. They'll get another great draft pick this year. They'll have a lot of money coming off the books this year. So, I mean, you're looking at two, three years down the road, and I think everybody realizes that. But they've been entertaining as heck to watch so far, so it's been fun. 18.5 points, six assists, a little better than three rebounds per game. Certainly it's a, a great start for Job Morant. Rob, always enjoy the uh, the conversations. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Always a pleasure, man, anytime. That's Rob Fisher from the uh, Memphis Grizzlies Television Network and Grind City Media. Sports Talk Mississippi, we're back after this. Thanks to Rob for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you the rest of the way this afternoon. Rippy had to scoot out for post-practice interviews at uh, at Ole Miss. So uh, you get the crew, the three of us, for the, uh, the rest of the way this afternoon. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-150 best-selling truck in America 42 consecutive years. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. All right. We talked about this on the air about three weeks ago. I mentioned, uh, and we talked yesterday with Bill Bender about it, uh, Bill from the Sporting News, putting out this uh, this piece, the top ten college football players of all time. Hey, Dad, this was the list that I settled on. 
that okay. when, when I finally sent my ballot in, I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. The the final list that I sent in, Herschel, Tebow, mm-hmm. Bo Jackson, mm-hmm. Tommy Frazier, Steve McNair, Hugh Green, Dick Butkus, Marcus Allen, Orlando Pace, Vince Young. I'm not mad at that. Those, okay. I felt okay about it. Now, based on the final list that they put out, four of the guys that I had in the top ten were in the top ten all-time that was published by Sporting News. Hmm. And either five or maybe six, uh, the others were all in the honorable mention list. So I was at least in the right ballpark. Yeah. So first of all, honorable mention. These are the guys that did not make the top ten. Bronco Nagurski from Minnesota. Cam Newton. Deion Sanders. Derek Thomas, who played at Alabama, so good. Dick Butkus, who was a linebacker and an offensive lineman at Illinois. Earl Campbell from Texas. Hugh Green from Pitt, defensive end and a linebacker. Jim Brown, Syracuse. John Hanna, the offensive lineman from Alabama. Leroy Selman from Oklahoma. Marcus Allen, Orlando Pace. Randy Moss, who I thought long and hard about putting on my list. Reggie Bush, Roger Staubach, and Vince Young. So those were the honorable mention guys. Here's the top ten list all time. Running back Jim Thorpe, number ten. Running back Tony Dorsett from Pitt, number nine. By the way, Jim Thorpe played at Carlisle. Uh, Quarterback Tommy Frazier from Nebraska at eight. Running back from Illinois, Red Grange at seven. Charles Woodson at Michigan, number six. Archie Griffin, only two-time Heisman Trophy winner, number five. And I actually left Archie Griffin off my list altogether because when I went back and looked at his numbers, I didn't didn't think they added up. They don't blow you away. Second Heisman for Archie Griffin was in name only. However, he actually has two trophies. That is true. And nobody else does. Bo Jackson from at number four. Barry Sanders, who I did not have on my list at number three. That was probably an omission. Tim Tebow at number two all-time. And the best player in the history of college football, according to uh, the, the writers at Sporting News, 54 people across the country, combination media and former players, Herschel Walker. Real quick, why do you think there are so many running backs? Because that's what the game used to be. It used to be about running the football. The first, Before, like, I don't know the year, but there was a time when if you said list the top ten, they would have all been running backs. That's just what college football was for some. Look at the old Heisman list. I mean, they're dominated by the running back. Yeah. I mean, we're celebrating college football's 150th birthday this year. And for probably, what, over 100 years of that, it's a game that was dominated by running backs. Longer. Longer. 125 years. Yeah. Maybe longer. Although mm-hmm. there were there were some teams in the late 50s, early 60s, into the early 70s that were throwing it. Throwing it a little bit, but... And, and and the the way that the the rules have changed have made it more of a passing game now. 
I mean, we always talk about Archie Manning. His his actual numbers are terrible when you when you can put them in comparison with today's numbers. But it's just a different game. Can you imagine a young, healthy Archie Manning playing in one of today's RPOs? He would have been like Johnny Manziel. I mean, there's no question, no question about that. Yeah. So, I don't have a huge um, problem with this list. I like it. Um, I would probably have Tebow one and Herschel two, just for me. The only the only person I'm I'm sort of questioning is Dorsett, and maybe I just don't know enough about him as a collegiate. I know he won a Heisman Trophy, led Pitt to a national title. I don't have a whole lot of, of recollection of his college career. Not to say that I have any of Red Grange's, but I've read enough about it. And for me, I mean, just looking at the honorable mentions, Dion, Earl Campbell, and Vince Young, and Reggie Bush would all be ahead of Tony Dorsett for me. We debated offensive linemen, and, and I mm-hmm. went with, with Orlando Pace on my list. I think he was mm-hmm. that dominant when he played. But the two I will, we debated uh, are on the honorable mention. I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. We, we debated two offensive linemen. Orlando Pace was one, and John Hanna was the other. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hugh Green ultimately on the on, on the list that I submitted. He's in the honorable and mention category. The only Mississippian on the list that did not play. Didn't play in Mississippi, obviously. but from Mississippi. I stand by Steve McNair. I, I got no issue with Steve McNair. The numbers just don't make sense almost. They're that mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. Steve McNair's college stats? Yeah. So, was what it, was his senior year? 6,000 total yards in one season? Yeah, it was it was off the charts. Let's see. I think I've... Eh, I remember we had trouble finding his college stats when we were putting together the all-time Mississippi team. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here we go. College career at Alcorn State. This is just passing yards. 28-95, and then 53-77. His senior year at Alcorn State. Steve McNair threw for 5,377 yards and rushed for 904 and was responsible for 47 touchdowns. 6,200 total yards in one football season. In 11 games, not even like 13 games, just 11. Just just to put that in perspective, 11 games, 5,377 yards passing, right? The NFL record, 16-game season, is 54-77. 100 yards less in five, in five less games. games. That is insanity. With a 99-yard touchdown pass in there for good measure. Can't break that record. So, so Steve McNair was responsible for 122 touchdowns in his four years. In comparison, Tim Tebow who was number two on the list. And I think we forget this a little bit. Think about how great Steve McNair was. 145 touchdowns Tim Tebow was responsible for at Florida. He totaled Is that passing 12, and rushing? I think the yeah, 122 that, you just I think the 122 you gave McNair is just his passing. 
Is that passing only? I believe so. So Tebow had a record of 35-6. and six. He was responsible for 12,232 yards and 145 touchdowns. Heisman Trophy win and two national championships. First sophomore to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Obviously, you've had a freshman win it since then. Johnny Manziel won it as a redshirt freshman. As did Jameis, right? Was he a redshirt freshman? I think you're right, Borky. Why was I trying to make him a third-year player? I think it was his redshirt freshman season. I think you're right. It's a pretty, pretty yeah, because he only played two years. He was redshirted and then played two seasons, That's and then right. went to the NFL. You're exactly right. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Fun list on this day in sports history with a Mississippi flavor. That is coming up next with you when we continue in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. It is time for On This Day in Sports History, presented by Acoustic Wave. Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and a whole lot more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Some people even are able to go back to work on the very same day. Contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com or call them at 855-563-6100. That's 855-563-6100 to find out more about wave therapy from Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. On this day... In 1977, Sweetness, the great Walter Payton, breaks the single-game NFL rushing record in a 10-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings at Soldier Field. Payton broke the NFL one-game record of 273 yards set by O.J. Simpson in 1976. He also broke Gale Sayers' record for yards in a game for the Bears which was 205. That was set in 1963, a mark that Peyton had tied earlier in the same season against the Packers. On that night, about the record, Walter Peyton says, maybe it'll mean something later in three or four years when I'm out. But right now, it's just another game. That 273 yards that Walter Peyton rushed for in 1977 is now the fifth most in a game in NFL history. The record has since been broken four times. In 2000, Corey Dillon for Cincinnati rushed for 278 against Denver. In 2009, Jerome Harrison had 286 yards for Cleveland against Kansas City. Jamal Lewis for the Baltimore Ravens against Cleveland, September 14, 2003, went for 295 yards. And the single-game NFL rushing record was set on November 4th, 2007, Minnesota Vikings against the San Diego Chargers, 296 yards rushing for Adrian Peterson. It's impressive that record held for as long as it did, if you think about it. I mean, it took until the year 2000 for that thing to fall. Yeah. So it lasted 24 years. 
pretty good longevity for a, a single game record in the NFL. Um, Adrian Peterson in his prime at his best. Is there another running back that you would take over him all time? Peyton. Walter Peyton? Yeah, I would. Barry Sanders, maybe? Yes. It's on a short list, though. Who? Emmett? Emmett Smith, no. No. Uh, that's uh, Peterson just got banged up so much, but at his peak, he was he was fan, he, he's he's a top five guy. He had a twenty one hundred yard season one year yeah. on six just, yards just, per carry in the freaking NFL. One hundred thirty one yards per game. Just missed Dickerson's record. Dickerson's another one I would take over him. Speaking, by the way, just real quick, you said you know it's a long time for a record to hold. The NFL the record for passing yards in a game is from 1951. Think about how the game has changed in terms of passing, and no one's broken Norm Van Brocklin, 554 yards. Do the Patriots play the Browns coming up? (laughs) Wow. You want to be a part of the show, you can do so on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Robert in Tupelo says, with all the Led Zeppelin, I had to check to see if somebody had died. Now Borky's just a Zeppelin guy. I'll do that occasionally. I'm not looking forward to the day. I've never had a real emotional reaction to a musician passing away yet. But I, like I got, I grew up on Led Zeppelin. My parents in the car on the way to school when I was in a booster seat were playing me Led Zeppelin. When either Jimmy Page or Robert Plant ends up going, which may be another twenty years because these British rock stars just never go, I might actually be really sad that day. Stan and Jackson suggest Bo Jackson might be an answer. I think the question is more NFL focused, though, wasn't it? Yeah, for for the NFL, not that he wasn't great, but nah, I'm not. I can't put him in the same list with Peyton and and then those guys. Quinn says Dickerson was smooth. Barry Sanders is the best, though. Here's a vote for Earl Campbell. And then As going back to the 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 top ten players of all time, some of you have have kind of chimed in on that, asking about Jerry Rice. This says consider the top ten in the NFL that weren't on the top ten in college. You put Jerry Rice there. Yeah, no no question. Uh, we were talking about Steve McNair. Message from Adam came in, I think, and he said that's three and a half miles of passing yards for Steve McNair his senior season. It's a long way. Uh, there was a question that said no Jerry Rice. That was from Possum. Not on the, not on the college all-time player list. No receivers and, at all in the top ten, though. So it's not like they put another none. receiver on there. To uh, that, that you know, there's no. You talked about Borky was asking about you know running backs versus quarterbacks. No receivers. Robert and Tupelo says LT. Ladanian Tomlinson. He's really really good. Yeah. It's close. I like Tomlinson though. Good player. Jim in Caledonia asked a question. Uh, he says, is there another 
and, and he says, no offense to you guys. He says, do you think there will ever be a time in television where sports events are broadcast without annoying announcers for a truly live experience? Well, Jim, you should have watched MSU Alabama on Saturday on the SEC Network. You, you had the um, the Skycam broadcast with no announcers. Yeah. Did anybody Just watch the that? natural games? I, I, I haven't seen it. No. I tuned it in. It's nice for a minute. But I think games do need announcers. When you see people that, oh, it was so bad I had to mute the TV, I don't know if I believe that fully. I don't believe it. It's hard think, to watch without it. I think you need to have I think you need to have announcers for things like injuries and stuff. There there are sometimes you need to know what's going on that you, you that you're not going to know otherwise. You know what what happened to Tua? You need you you wanted to know what was going on there. When what happened, you know, whenever there's an injury, something like that or or if a player has come out of the game that you don't think was injured. Like why is he not playing anymore? Something like that. I think you sometimes need announcers. And they'll throw stats at you at times. Yeah. Very rarely does a bad announcer make me not want to watch a game anymore. Like even Gary Danielson, he's kind of annoying sometimes, but he doesn't make me want to not watch those games anymore or, or watch them on mute or anything like that. And outside of him, I, I can't think of one that I truly dislike. I checked the uh, SEC Network's mentions uh, about midway through the game just to see about that. No, no, it was about half and half. About half and half. Half people were like, wow, this is really cool. I really enjoy it. Another half were like, I can't deal with this. On the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk MISS, question about the top ten. He says, uh, MT Boss says, Archie Manning, hello. No. Here's the thing. The, The only way that Archie Manning enters that conversation is if it's based on an eye test and a visceral reaction that you had from watching him play. Because Borky mentioned it earlier, we we talked about it a little bit, the the numbers just, they don't stack up. They're nowhere close. I I don't even know, you know, Tim Tebow did an interview with Archie Manning this past week for uh, SEC Nation. And Archie told a story that I think he's told before. I, I don't know if he's told it on the radio with us before or not. You know, Archie's one of the most humble people you were ever will ever meet and, and doesn't really like talking about himself. But he shared the story that he and Eli were in New Jersey at Eli's house and they were watching a college game. It was Archie and Olivia, I guess, were, were there for a Giants game and they were at Eli and Abby's house and we're watching a college game and he looked at Eli and he said Eli I'd have been pretty good at one of these offenses <laughs> he said I didn't mean it from a bragging standpoint it was just kind of kind of the truth and Eli's response is, response I wouldn't have been <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's a that's a pretty nice uh nice look at uh yeah, you know, little candor from both of them on that front. No, I certainly get the Archie Manning love, and I mean Rick Cleveland and I've talked about this before. He says you know his numbers don't do justice to the player that he was. You know, watching him in person was a different experience altogether. But when you're talking about a top ten list of all time, guys that have ever played the game, 
the numbers just have they, they weigh too heavily. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.